0: We're in chapter 20 this evening, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, we really only have 15 verses in 20, and I'm, I would sort of like to be able to make it through chapter 21 up to verse um, 8. And we'll see how this study goes and see if we can uh, jump into chapter 21 at the same time. Just a little bit of background as we get into chapter 20. First, oh, you know, three chapters are about um, the seven letters to the seven churches. And um, the key to the book of Revelation, of course, is chapter 1, verse 19. Um, Jesus told John, write the things that he has seen. That's chapter 1. He saw Jesus. And then he was told, write the things that are, present tense. And that would be the seven letters that he was told to write to see these seven churches. Write the things you've seen, chapter one, write the things that are, seven letters to seven churches. And then uh, the third division of the book starts with the Greek word a metatonta, and it says, after these things. The question is, after what things? And it is after the things of the church, which means that the church has to have a beginning, and the church was birthed um, at uh, Pentecost, and we'll be there in a couple weeks. We'll be um, in the book of Acts. So after the things of the church, it implies it has a beginning, but then it also has an end. The church age will end with the rapture of the church, and Paul writes about it. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about these things, that um, God is going to deal with Israel but only after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now there's an implication there. That means that God knows that there's a set number and if you know anything about the Bible, especially Revelation, he's into numbers. So when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, when that last person that the Lord knows is going to come to him, then he will take the church up. I believe that God always has a witness. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Um, during the church age, it says, we are the salt, and we are the light of the world. Good place for an amen. That's what we're supposed to be all about, to let our lights shine. And so that's the church age. I believe it is very late. Not just late, but very late um, to the Lord's coming and as soon as that happens I believe the because God always has a witness we read in Revelation 7 that there's 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel but then the last verse of the Old Testament the very last two verses and uh, and Malachi says that I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, what's that? Well, that's the tribulation period. So what do we have? Old Testament saints, they're a witness. Not always a good one. Um, The church age, um, a witness. Again, not always a good one. (laughs) And then we have the rapture of the church, and we enter into the seven-year period of time that is yet future. So where are we in all this? Well, we're still in um, chapters two and three. We're in present tense, right? The things that are, John. And we'll be going there just to look at a couple of the promises. So then you have the seven years of tribulation. Many different names. Time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel's 70th week. The great tribulation. um, Different names that are given to it, but all means the same thing. It's the wrath of the Lamb being poured out on planet Earth over a seven-year period of time that will be divided right down the middle. Um, We will know who the Antichrist we won't know who the Antichrist is because I believe the rapture has to take first. But um, when the Antichrist signs a peace agreement with Israel, that begins the seven-year period of time. We know that because in Daniel nine twenty-seven it says in the middle, exactly three and a half years in, he breaks it. And this is when um, religious Roman church will be destroyed. And this is when he goes into the temple, according to Second Thessalonians 2, and he shows himself that he is God. And he demands that people worship him and take his mark or the name of his mark that will be embedded on you. And I don't know, Jerry, if they recorded Mary's update. Uh, People were talking about it quite a bit afterwards, the technology that's involved with this virus right now and what's actually embedded with it. And the technology with the AI and intelligence that we have today Um, the technology is here for the mark of the beast to exist. Um, I don't think this needs to be said to this crowd, but I'll say it anyway. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Why? Because it can only come in the middle of the tribulation period. Only then does he demand that you take his mark. Then you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you can't do anything. But we're seeing foreshadows of that actually happening right now. So when I say it's late, I mean it's really late. Everything is in place. I think the Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you look around at this crazy world and you go, Lord, what in the world are you waiting for? And it is because he's long-suffering and patient. And um, so we go through that seven-year period of time. We don't. That brings us to chapter 20, where we are tonight. Because after the tribulation, um, as we read last week, we had the battle of Armageddon, and the false prophet and the beast were immediately cast into the lake of fire. That's in chapter 19, verse 20. Um, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with the flesh. So we're, now we're in transition. Um, we're entering into a 1,000 year period of time we call the millennium. And um, let's just pick it up with the first three verses because what we noticed and the question has to be raised If the false prophet and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire immediately, then why isn't Satan? And that brings us to the first three verses as we enter into now, uh, before we enter into it, the Lord has to deal with Lucifer. So let's look at verse one. Uh, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So that's how long, that's what we know uh, that the millennium is a thousand years long. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, uh, which would be in the heart of the earth. It has to be in the heart of the earth because if it's bottomless, then if you're in the middle, Every other way is up or out. So that would be in the middle of the earth. And it says, it Shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now I want to just stop and touch and have you think on this for a little bit. A thousand years... In order to enter in to the thousand-year millennial reign, remember we went to Matthew 25, I think it was last Sunday or last Wednesday, and the Lord was separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep were the saved ones. They, get, they said, blessed are those because they could enter into the, tribula- um, the millennial kingdom. But the goats, uh, they were cast into hell. So everybody entering in to the millennium is saved. And, but there are people who were human. What has happened as you enter this is the curse that was placed upon earth will be removed. Um, in the book of Genesis, it was longevity of life Let's take Methuselah, for example. I think it was 969 years or something like that. That's up there. <laughs> Longevity of life is restored, almost a 1,000 years old. But we have human beings that had believed on Christ and make it into it. But now we have the reproduction cycle going on. There still have, um, um, there's still human beings that are reproducing And this goes on for a thousand years. So after a thousand years of reproduction, remember the ones that entered in at the very beginning did so because they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you may be a father and a mother and you're saved, but that doesn't mean your children are necessarily saved. Somebody wanna give me amen on that? I mean, half half the time in men's prayer, what we pray for is, our unsaved family members. Lord, whatever it takes, just save them. And um, so now what's happening is it says that the Lord is gonna rule and reign with a rod of iron for 1,000 years. So now you have um, them having to follow the ways of the Lord. Remember, he rules with a rod of iron. And basically... He's reinforcing it You don't have a choice So why Is Satan bound for a thousand years And then he's going to be let loose For a short season Well we're going to learn In just a couple of verses here But just think it through You can't force somebody to love you You can't force somebody To follow in your ways Mom and dad, your kids You can't make them walk with the Lord So an alternative has to be given, just like in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Um, they walked with the Lord until there was an alternative who was a serpent. And that gave um, Adam and Eve free will. They could choose to obey God or they could choose to rebel against him. Well, imagine a thousand years and the population of the planet and how many people, if they had that choice, what would they do with that choice? The reason that Satan is bound for a 1,000 years, he will be released for a little while. Why? He provides the alternative. He, and, and this is, we'll, we'll get into this more when we get to these verses. But it provides the alternative, it gives us an explanation of why Satan is not cast into the lake of fire with the false prophet in the beast, so the first three verses here are important to understand why uh, he would be uh, sealed for that that period of time. I'll say this a couple times during the night. Where are we during this time? We're in the New Jerusalem, and that's what we'll be talking about on Sunday. And a little uh, yeah, on Sunday we'll be going there. So four through six. "'Change of thought, Satan is bound for a thousand years. "'And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, "'and judgment was committed to them. "'And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded "'for their witness to Jesus and to the word of God, "'who had not worshiped the beast or his image "'and had not received his mark on their forehead "'or on their hands.' And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, what we have in view here are people that somehow made it past, went underground, or whatever, and they didn't take the mark of the beast. Some of them were martyred, um, and some of them were even even beheaded. Um, I'd like you to um, I'd like you to know that uh, they are not the only ones that are going to rule and reign. With the Lord for that thousand years, and you need to turn with me to chapter 2 of Revelation. And one of the seven letters, um, each one of them has seven different things said about them. Each one has a different title, each one of them has a promise given to it. I'm interested in the promise that the Lord made to the church of Thyatira in chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. So we're talking present tense, you and I, church age, and let's pick it up in verse 25 where it says, but hold fast what you have till I come. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's where we get this from. He keeps righteousness intact. And he does it with um, a rod of iron. And he shall rule over them with a rod of iron as the potter vessels shall be broken to pieces as I also received from my father. So here is a promise to the church that um, even though we'll be describing the new Jerusalem, we are going to be ruling and reigning in some capacity that he hasn't laid out completely, but we'll be ruling and reigning With him, along with these martyrs that were killed during the tribulation period. Everybody with me? So it's not just for the tribulation saints, it's also for the church age now that um, um, basically the Lord is saying, Hang in there, don't give up, don't look back. Um, Paul said, Forgetting those things that are behind, I press on to the high calling in Christ Jesus. It's not about here, it's not about now. This is that much time in the period of time that we've been on planet Earth, which is not billions and billions and billions of years. (laughs) No, it's 6,000 years. And that's including with the 6,000 years where we're at right now, we add one more thousand year period of time, and now you have the number seven coming up again, the number of completion. So it fits like a glove, but I did want to go back to we will be with the tribulation saints ruling and reigning with the Lord for 1,000 years. Go back to chapter 20. That was verse uh, 4. I'm going to look at verses 5 and 6 now. Um, But the rest of the dead so now it was talking about the church and those who were faithful to the Lord during the tribulation. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So, in other words, all these people that were killed in the Battle of Armageddon, um, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for 1000 years it brings up two thoughts and and the first one here is I'd like you to turn and talk about the first resurrection to do so you need to go to 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 15 I'll give you a moment to get there. All of chapter 15 is about the facts of the resurrection. And how without the resurrection, and if we don't have that hope, it says in verse 19, we're men most miserable. And then in verse 20, it gives us the order of the resurrection. So let's pick it up, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So who is the first one of the first resurrection? Answer verse 20, Jesus himself. He is the first one to be resurrected with a resurrected body. Uh, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order Christ, the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And so we have a picture of people getting saved all the way up, I believe, until till the rapture, and then of course those that would be saved during the tribulation. Now let's go back, so that's the first resurrection. But then it says, um, over such the second death has no power. Now, before I tell you what the second death is, I want to go to a couple different places. Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, we'll pick it up with verse 19. I think I mentioned that um, um, when we were talking about expositional constancy, when it comes to the parable, that if a bird is a bird in one parable and it's explained as being the devil, then if, it's a, if you read about a bird in another parable but it doesn't mention the devil, expositional constancy means that the bird is a devil. Is everybody with me on that? So, But not here. They may, um, one of the rules of interpretation of the parables is that you can't have a proper name. Parables don't have proper names. This story does. Uh, We have um, uh, the verses before, Christ warns the Pharisees, that's not a parable. Christ's teaching on divorce, that's not a parable. And when we go into, it says uh, in my Bible, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But the problem now is we've got a proper name. So it's not a parable. In other words, this is a, a real story that really happened. So let's read it. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, just desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog came and licked his sores. That's a pretty pathetic picture. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now this is not heaven Um, because the rich man also died and was buried and the Old Testament saints when they died um, according to this parable here went to a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom but it wasn't heaven. Um, The rich man also died and was buried. Um, With that train of thought let's go back to the cross. Two guys at a cross one of them gets saved, watching Jesus. I bury with me. And the Lord says, he said to him, Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? So the Lord looked at him and said, that was, he had no good works, never went to church, <laughs> never got baptized, none of those things. His sinner's prayer went something like this. Lord, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And what did the Lord tell him? He said, today that day you will be with me in paradise but we know that Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of of, uh, the great fish so what is paradise paradise is not heaven paradise is Abraham's bosom a place of comfort that we're going to read about here so Uh, was carried to Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried and being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. There's a lot of theology in this one verse. There's a doctrine out there called um, annihilationism and a lot of people believe in this. When When you're dead, you're dead, it's over. You cease to exist, that's it. And a lot of people hold to that. They believe that. And that's not the case at all. The only thing that dies when a person dies is this right here. The outer man, the flesh. We know that when this shell uh, that Paul talks about, this tent is dissolved, that we have a home in heaven not made with hands and it's eternal in the kingdom. So my point here is this guy is still very, very much alive, very conscious, and very aware, but he's in torment. So we read that he could actually see Abraham's bosom and Abraham himself in verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, there's a proper name, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now he's given us a description of what hell is like. Consciousness, ability to communicate at least this time with Abraham and he's in torment and he's thirsty and yet um, his physical body is gone. Abraham's response to him, Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received uh, your good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he's comforted and you're in torment. And besides all this, he said, even if I wanted to do it, he's explaining he can't. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. I can't let Lazarus come over because there's this, this um, um, gulf fixed between them so that they can't go between the two. Now, I wonder if this guy, he was so caught up in the world, and the things of the world, and that's what we're wor- warned against. So much in John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For those who love the things of the world do not have the love of the Father in them. They're into self, they're into material things, totally. So now that this this had to be like a bomb just coming down upon him, he realizes his predicament. He's not getting out. And he's going nowhere. And all of a sudden, maybe for the first time in his life, he started thinking about family members that weren't saved. Because in verse 27, he says, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that they might, we would say, witness to them lest they come to this place of torment. Now his heart is actually going out for family members that aren't saved when they never, I'm sure they never talked about it before. That's why I like to say when I do a funeral, I'd rather do a funeral any day of the week than a a wedding. Because it's at a funeral that people actually think about their own mortality, that could be me. And you don't think about that um, at a party or a wedding. You think, you're thinking about other things other than your own mortality. Good place for an amen there, too. We think about it, he's thinking about it here because he's locked in, but his brothers are still alive. Would you please send somebody to warn them about that this place is real and there's no way you're getting out. And Abraham said to him, notice this is interesting, they have Moses and the prophets let them hear. What's he saying? No, they have this book that you guys are holding in your hands that gives us the gospel of Jesus Christ and lays it out. And he said, no, Father Abraham, Um, but if one goes to them from the dead they will repent Um, so in other words show me a miracle let my brother see a miracle or two and then they'll believe in you well here's the irony of this story there was a Lazarus who was risen from the dead John chapter 11 he was dead for four days and the Lord said, I'm going to go wake him up now to Mary and Martha. And uh, they said, Lord, not, not spend four days, but now he's, he's um, King James, he stinketh. <laughs> and uh, he says, Lazarus, come forth. He called them by name. I wonder what would have happened if he would have just said, come forth. <laughs> would have been a lot more people coming out of tombs. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And they came out, and the the reaction from the crowd was twofold. Great joy that really led to uh, what we call Palm Sunday, and the crowds were so large, the multitudes were so large, that followed Jesus down the Mount of Olives, into Jerusalem. Why were they so large? Because the people went back from, the, this event happened right before it. And they went into Jerusalem and it says, Jerusalem was a buzz. This man we know for sure was dead. So it was great rejoicing. Now the scribes and the Pharisees on the other hand, they had a problem. Because they knew that um, their goal was to kill Jesus and they're talking amongst themselves and saying, now we don't only have, only have to kill Jesus, we gotta get rid of Lazarus too. He's a living witness that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Verse 31, but he said to them, but this is Abraham speaking to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. It's the same today. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, you really you're not gonna you're not gonna make it. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. Um, we're going to be reading that in the first verse of chapter 21. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not His Word. So I take you here because um, Jesus was the first. Um, resurrection and then we have let's go back to Revelation now and that was verse 6 over such the second death has no power well he was in there and not able to leave there until we have the great white throne judgment. Now you're blessed if you're part of the first resurrection. Revelation chapter two, the church of Smyrna, this is a promise to the church of Smyrna. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So this is actually one of the promises. Now I'll go back to Revelation uh, 20, verse six. And in, so we know what the first resurrection is. Jesus was the very first of the first resurrection. But then it, what is the second death, it actually tells us what the second death is in verse, verse 14 of chapter 20. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death let's go back to the rich man he died once went to hell you know he's been there for over 2000 years time wise but now it says death and hell are emptied and they stand before the great white throne judgment and now they're going to die again and it's called the second death and uh, let's work our way up to it we left off with verse 6 now Verses uh, seven through nine. Now when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle whose number is as the sands of the sea so for a thousand years, all these people that were forced to live righteously, now the alternative, and that's why he's, the Lord kept them, because he wants to use them the same way that he used Adam and Eve, to provide an alternative. We're about to enter into eternity. We're about to get to the end of the thousand years, but before we go into eternity, the Lord is going to make sure that Um, they of their own free will enter into eternity because they love the Lord Jesus Christ and they're not being forced into it. So how do you know? You have to provide an alternative. So again, the reason that Satan is imprisoned, and what's amazing here is a multitude of people who go along with this. Then he went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the... Uh, whose number was as the sand of the sea. That's how many people uh, followed Lucifer. Then they went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of all the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. All right, let's, uh, I just want to stop right here and um, make a point. Calvary chapels don't hold to psychology. Um, the teachings of men, the vain repetition of men. Basically, psychology is a self-examination of you and why you are the way that you are. Well, you are this way because of the environment that you were brought up in. You were brought up in a bad home. It was tough. So um, it's not your fault, It's mom and dad's fault. They're the ones that had the problem. That's why I'm messed up right now. and uh, um, I want to put that to rest once and for all. Why? Because we have all these people that have made a choice. What was their environment? A world without a curse. A perfect ruler. A perfect environment. Now you have a perfect ruler, a perfect environment, and so um, your psychological profile should be, if you believe what psychologists would tell you, that you would be just like um, the other people who loved the Lord. That was not the case. What does it prove? Well, it proves once and for all that when you exercise free will, And you have free will that, as the scripture says, and this should settle it once and for all, that your heart and my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Paul says, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And usually the first thing we think of is, well, there's got to be something good in there somewhere. Right? Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, picking it up in verse 14. It's not that we don't know, okay? It's not that we don't know that this is right and this is wrong. And this was Paul's struggle. He knew what was right, and he knew what was wrong. And here's the thing, gang. The older you get, the more this becomes a reality to you. Because when you've walked with the Lord for a long, long time, you know better. And when, when you're really young in the Lord, you do things that you don't realize um, 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 just really how grievous it is. So let's pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 7 of Romans. This is Paul. For we know that the law is spiritual. Problem is, I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. It's the law that brings a person to salvation. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. To will is present with me. I want to do the right thing. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do. Is it no longer I who do it. But it's a sin that dwells in me. I find in me, therefore, a law, that evil is present with me, and the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I look at the Bible, yep, that's right, that's good, that's true, all of it. Problem is me. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me in captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And that's why we, Paul said, you have to die daily. It's a daily thing. And um, if, if you're not, you know, um, dying daily, then you're gonna live after the things of the flesh, period. What's his conclusion? Oh, wretched man that I am. Amazing grace that saves the wretch like me. It's amazing. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't make it. There's no way I can make it. That's what he's saying. But then he says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because he paid the price for me. Cleansed me, and he took my sin. So then, with the mind, I myself um, served the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So when we read uh, in Revelation and we have this perfect environment and we're a product of our environment, um, then if psychologists are right and we live in this perfect environment with a perfect king over us, then we should be like that. It's not the case. And This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I think it should be a continuation of verse 24. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, when the Lord said you'll know the truth and it'll set you free, here's the truth right here. In you and your flesh is no good thing. Isn't that an interesting place to ask for an amen? (laughs) In my flesh is no good thing. I know it's right, I know it's wrong, and yet I do the wrong thing. And the only answers to this dilemma is Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's cross. Therefore, if we allow the devil to sit on our shoulder when you've, you've committed a sin, you realize you committed a sin, and you go, Lord, I really blew it this time, and you go to him and you fall on your face and and you repent, uh, First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your faults, your sins to the Lord, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How can you have condemnation in your life if that's the case? Are you with me on this one? You're out of the equation is what's being said here because if we're a part of the equation, we'll mess it up. But we're not. Therefore, after you've repented, the devil's not going to give up on you. You've you. Do you realize what you just said or what you just thought or what you just did? And he's condemning you. That's why in Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren, and he accused them day and night. And that's got to be a, re- a reality in your, in your life if you want to live free in the Lord. And that is the Lord did it all. Yes, I know the devil's gonna come because the Bible says so in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren, and he's doing this 24-7, accusing us before our Father in heaven. And our advocate, our defense attorney, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Says, Father, I've taken care of that. That's all under the blood. Case dismissed, you're free. And basically, we have the gospel. Let's go back to Revelation and we left off, in, um, and we see now those that have made this this choice and choose to follow Lucifer, they're devoured. And then in verse ten, and now that the Lord is through using him as an alternative choice, now we see Lucifer's fate. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they, they will be tormented day and night forever and then they repeat it and ever, forever and ever and ever. Thing is, he knows that already. And if you're wondering why there's a rise in anti-Semitism, you're wondering why it's possible for our whole country to collapse and not be what it used to be. All these things are variables, and we don't know how it's all going to shake out. Um, But what it's telling us here is that now that that has happened, and he's through using Lucifer as an alternative choice, we go now to the great white throne judgment. This is where the dead man will be resurrected, and this is... Pick it up, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books. Notice this, I want you to notice that's plural. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades delivered up the the dead. Well, who was there? Well, that was a rich man. Uh, He wanted out. Well, he got out, but this is what he gets out too, the great white throne judgment. Delivered up the dead who were with them, and they were judge each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, let's just start with who's on the throne and who is doing the judging here. Actually, many, many years ago, 1970, hmm, ooh, maybe two or three. Um, I was going to a seminary of God church, living with the youth pastor there, and I was the only hippie in the church. <laughs> I had long hair and a beard, and we had a traveling evangelist come through who liked to depicted um, Jesus dying on the cross and the great white throne judgment. And then he would give up and uh, uh, just be an evangelist and invite people. But before that, I actually got, he liked me so much, he took me on the road with him. (laughs) I went to Chicago with him. I went to another place with him because he couldn't find too many people that looked like Jesus because everybody else had a suit and tie on. (laughs) So I remember uh, when it came to the great white throne judgment, one by one, people would come up, and um, there was a angel over here on this side, and um, I would ask him, "What's your name? What did you do?" And then I would look over here, and I says, "Is his name in the book?" And his, the, the angel would say, "No, it's not there." And then I would say, "Depart from me, you cursed!" Into what we just read here. Um, into the lake of fire. And we had every different kind of walks of life. Actually, it was, it was pretty dramatic. And um, uh, so I had an opportunity, actually, uh, it really brings it to life when you have um, uh, something like that. But, but who is, um, the same one that was on the cross is the same one who is on the, the judgment seat here. Who is the judge on the judgment seat? Well, if you're taking notes, we won't turn to these because I really do want to get into these eight verses in 21. Uh, John 5, verses 20 through and 27. For the father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the son. He has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. That's John 5. In Acts 40, Verse 42, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that he is which was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead. That's Acts 40. I'll give you one more here. This one, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now these are verses that are foretelling that Jesus is the one who's sitting on the throne when these books are opened. Well, what are these books? Well, there's really, I would say, four or five uh, books here. Uh, According to Romans 2.15, there's the, the book of conscience. Although man's conscience is not an infallible guide, he will nevertheless be condemned by those occasions when he deliberately violated it. In other words, you have a conscience. Young kid, I remember stealing money out of dad's wallet. I was in first grade and a corner um, drugstore had the best uh, caramel apples on the planet, and I had one, and after I had one, I had to have more, except when you're in first grade, you don't have that much money, so you gotta steal it to get it, so I was stealing, I was, uh, I'm a thief, and um, uh, I was in. and I had a conscience. I knew it was wrong to take money out of mom and dad's purse, I know nobody else here took money out of mom and dad's purse. No, you wouldn't do anything like that. (laughs) And if you say otherwise, you're lying. So that makes you a liar on top of it. All right, then there's the book of words, Matthew 12. But I say unto you that every idle word that a man speaks, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Uh, Then we have uh, the book of secret words. God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, Romans 2.16. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. That actually uh, comes out of Ecclesiastes 2. We have the book of public works Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, whose ends shall be according to their works. So um, there's denominations that say that salvation is you have to have good works to go along with it in order for you to be saved. Now it's true that when you get saved, uh, Paul says faith without works is dead, But I do the good works not to get saved. I do the good works just because I love the Lord. The Bible says if you see somebody who has a need and it's within your power to help that person and you don't help them, then how does the love of God dwell in you? The fact that you do good things um, is because um, all, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So we can't take the credit for any of it. So when it says here, the books were opened, and um, then we have uh, the last book here, the book of life. And um, the book of life is everybody who is saved. Every person at the great white throne judgment is a lost sinner. And he's having his day in court. Basically, that's the best way to say it. And the evidence is brought forward. And you will be found guilty as charged because everything that an unsaved person has ever said, thought, or done is all being recorded. And that's what's going to come out. And that's a terrifying thought if you're not saved. <laughs> that's a terrifying thought if you're not saved. So this is only for the lost. Then we have the BeMA seat or the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment that has nothing to do with your sin, but the motive of why you do what you do for the Lord. And again, we quote this often. The Lord says, when you do a good work, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And your heavenly Father who sees in secret, he'll reward you openly. And so we quote that quite often. And by golly, we're going to be able to get into these first eight verses, which I really wanted to do. Now we've just ended a thousand years in this chapter. In these 15 verses, we went from the Battle of Armageddon in chapter 19. Chapter 20 is uh, this thousand years, and it ends with before we can enter into now eternity. This goes now on into forever. And now those that um, have chosen to follow Lucifer or those who died in their sins, we find in verse one, John says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So most of our earth today is made up of oceans. Not on this new one, on uh, no seas. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now on Sunday, we're going to get into detail for the rest of, because of, um, of, um, we're only going to get up to verse 8. Here we're introduced to it. It'll be about the size of the moon. I'll give you more detail about that on Sunday. And um, um, we will have been living in this place for the last thousand years. So the millennial period of time, remember, rapture, tribulation, and then millennium. Well, from the time that we're raptured, uh, turn with me real quick to John chapter 14. We've got enough time to go there. John chapter 14. Read in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. That's a good verse for today, don't you think? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, have, I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What is the new Jerusalem? Well, it's the place that the Father prepared for you. It is where you spend not only that thousand years during the millennium, but um, um, on into eternity. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so what we're reading about here, this new Jerusalem, Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14. And behold, I heard a loud voice from him saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away every tear from their from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said to me, Behold, I make all things new, and he said to me right, for these words are true and they're faithful, and he said to me, it is done. What does that make you think of? The cross, of course, is finished. God's plan for man to bring a bride, as we talked about on Sunday, with Isaac and um, uh, Rebecca, the Holy Spirit being sent to draw a bride out of this world uh, so that they can live forever, Uh, in a place that's prepared for them. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes. Again, gang, that's just saying I'm going to hang in there uh, until the Lord comes. No matter how tough it gets, no matter how wild or crazy the world gets, just... Keep on keeping on. They shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Remember I told you at the beginning of the study that everybody knows this will be the only political statement I'll make tonight. Everybody knows the election was, was stolen. And what did they do to cover it up? They lied about it. They lied about everything. And um, I'm thinking, I want justice. They know themselves. They're bragging about it. I want justice. And this is the verse the Lord gave me. Just, they're going to get justice. They're going to, they fall into this category unless they repent, and there's every possibility that they can. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and with brimstone, which, again, is the second death. So, will there be justice with what we just went through as a nation? Oh, yeah. Nobody nobody is going to get away with anything. And for the person that has given their life over to Christ, he says this to you. I'm never going to bring you to shame. I'll never bring you to shame. I've taken your sins and I've separated them as far as the east is from the west. And that's probably a good place to say amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word tonight as we make it through the millennial period of time. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the comforting words that tell us let let, not your heart be troubled. Trust in God, we trust also in you. Thank you that you have a game plan. Uh, No matter how bad things are, we know how it all turns out in the end. While we're here, Lord, help us be overcomers. uh, When we feel like giving up, uh, when we feel like we really want to go home and just be out of here, give us the endurance, um, help us be that salt and light that you want us to be. And we thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.